Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer, and I am one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. Today we're going to turn our attention to one of the Psalms of David, an eminently practical psalm, Psalm 101. It consists of only eight verses, and I want to take the time right now to read it in its entirety, thus experiencing the flow of the sentiments that David expresses, and then we will turn to a closer examination. The psalm reads as follows, and I'll be reading from the New American Standard. I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To thee, O Lord, I will sing praises. I will give heed to the blameless way. When wilt thou come to me? I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. A perverse heart shall depart from me. I will know no evil. Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land, so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all of those who do iniquity. This psalm has been thought by most to have been a psalm of David that he would have composed right before some very significant event in his life. Some have conjectured that it was written by David very soon after the death of Saul when David succeeded to be king over a portion of the land. Others say David wrote it when the kingdom was completely united under his kingship. And still others believe it was written when the Ark of the Covenant was brought from the house of Obed-Edom to Mount Zion and placed in close proximity to David. No matter what the situation was that prompted David to compose this psalm, the principles in it have a wide application. The principles it contains would help a king to be a good king, such as the Lord would be pleased with. They would help a husband and father be the type of leader and provider that he needs to be. These principles would help someone who runs a business and has employees under him. Really, no better rules can be given to help guide someone who has others under him or has others as employees, both in respect to their own conduct and in respect to those who are under him or in his employ. Really, they are principles for each and every one of us. Once again, let's turn to verse 1. David wrote, 
I will sing of loving kindness and justice. To thee, O Lord, I will sing praises. When David begins by saying that he would sing of the loving kindness or mercy of God, as well as of the justice or judgment of God, he is praising both the love and the severity of God. He is extolling both the judgment and the goodness of the Lord. These things that David had admired in God's dealings with him through his life were the very types of things that David would seek to imitate in his dealings with others. Just think about it. The person who adopts the principles of mercy and justice, of truth and kindness, will be a much better king, better father, better husband, better employer, or any other relationship he may sustain. Understanding that all praise and honor goes to God. Let's consider the first part of verse 2. I will give heed to the blameless way. Or, as the King James puts it, I will behave myself wisely in a perfect way. What a resolution to make. I will behave myself wisely and in a perfect way. David was saying that the principles that would guide his conduct were God's principles. His resolve was to be excellent, whether we're talking about his position as king, head of his administration, or head of his house. Now we know that in David's case, while his resolve was excellent, in practice he was not always wise or blameless, but then again, neither is anybody else that I know of. However, with David, the resolve was there. He was determined to conduct himself according to the perfect standard of God, and ultimately, he would be referred to as a man after God's own heart in Acts chapter 13 and verse 22. So it is vitally important that in whatever endeavor we undertake, we resolve to do it according to God's standard. Proper conduct does not happen by accident. The second part of the second verse when wilt thou come to me, can be looked at in a couple of ways. One is that it is an expression of the need for divine help. The idea then would be that if God is with us, we will all walk in wisdom and holiness. But away from God, we will be on our own, and success will be much more difficult. On the other hand, it can be taken to mean that David was asking God when he would come to visit him, in the sense that God would visit his home, inspect his conduct, not literally, but figuratively. It was David's resolve and prayer that whenever God chose to inspect him, no matter how often it might be or how unexpected it might be, he would find him walking according to God's principles. Note that the verse concludes with, I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. Our first responsibility is to conduct ourselves according to God's principles within our family or within our house. For if we do not do it at home, we will not do it away from home either. If we consider this as the words of a song, there is no music like the harmony of a gracious life, no psalm quite so sweet as the daily practice of holiness and integrity. I want us to look closely at the first part of verse 3. David said, I will set no worthless things before my eyes. That is an amazing statement, and what a wonderful resolve for each of us to have. David is saying, I will not delight in any wicked thing. 
I will not have any such object in view, and I won't put up with it. If wickedness is brought before me by others, I will turn away from it. I will not gaze upon wickedness with pleasure. He says no wicked thing. Not only will it not dwell in his heart, but not even before his eyes. Think of how much temptation could be avoided if we would but make the same resolution. David even goes so far as to say, I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. This calls to mind the statement that Paul made in Romans 1 as he was bringing to a close his scathing condemnation of the Gentiles and his explanation of why they so desperately needed the gospel. In verses 28 through 32, Paul wrote, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and although they know the ordinance of God that those who practice such things are worthy of death, They not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. My friends, hatred of sin is very important if we're going to walk in God's way with integrity. It is not enough simply to refuse to engage in sins. We must not view it with indifference or tolerance. One man writing about the last phrase, it shall not fasten its grip on me, had these comments to make. I will disown their ways. I will not imitate their policy. Like dirt it may fall upon me, but I will wash it off and never rest till I am rid of it. Sin like pitch is very apt to stick. In the course of our family history, crooked things will turn up. We are all imperfect, and some of those around us are far from being what they should be. It must, therefore, be one great object of our care to disentangle ourselves to keep clear of transgression and of all that comes of it. That then takes us to verse 4 of Psalm 101. David wrote, A perverse heart shall depart from me, I will know no evil. I believe that in this verse David is referring to himself and to those who are around him. He would not be perverse himself. He would not employ such persons of evil character in his home or in his government. And if he found such, he would remove them. A person who begins with his own heart and writes, I will not be perverse, is not likely to tolerate evil and perverse companions. When David writes, I will know no evil, or as the King James says, I will not know a wicked person, the idea is that he would not know such a person as his intimate, dear friend. He would not be influenced toward wickedness and evil by anyone. This reminds me so much of Paul's words in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verses 14 through 17. He wrote, Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? 
Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. David had resolved to do exactly what Paul taught us, refuse to be negatively influenced by that or those who are evil. So let's move now to the first part of verse 5 in Psalm 101. David wrote, Whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. Generally speaking, if a person has something good to say about his neighbor or to say about another person, he will do it openly. However, if he has something bad to say about another, he or she will generally do it secretly or out of the hearing of the person. We cannot provide anyone who would do such a thing with an audience. Refuse to listen. If we're talking about a ruler, an employer, or a father, or a husband, it is easy to see the awful damage a slanderer or gossiper can do. When David wrote, Him I will destroy, he was not saying that he would put such a person to death. Rather, he was saying that he would not have such a one in his employ, in his house, in his service, or in his company. There have been occasions in my life where I have simply had to tell someone, I don't want to hear it. There have been occasions when I have to remove myself from someone's company because their company was detrimental to me and to all others that they came into contact with. I never cease to be amazed and impressed by how often the Bible addresses the seriousness and godliness or ungodliness of gossip and the incredible damage that one who does such a thing can do. If a gossiper won't quit or a slanderer won't stop, then they are not to be associated with. The second part of verse 5 from Psalm 101 says, No one who has a haughty look and an arrogant heart will I endure. A proud and haughty person, someone who thinks that they are better than others, who thinks themselves to be wiser, smarter, and of greater value than others, David would not tolerate. I believe that there is probably some appreciation by David of where he came from. He was the son of a shepherd, indeed a shepherd himself. He knew, as we all should know, that none of us has any reason to feel arrogant. As David is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it is surely expressing God's view as well. I think of Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, where Solomon wrote the following, There are six things which the Lord hates, yes, seven that are an abomination to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that run rapidly to evil, a false witness who utters lies, and one who spreads strife among brothers. Back now to Psalm 101, and let's consider verse 6. My eyes shall be upon the faithful of the land, that they may dwell with me. He who walks in a blameless way is the one who will minister to me. While the word faithful here does not necessarily infer religious faithfulness, 
in the context of the psalm, it would certainly seem to refer to someone with faith in God and who walked according to God's way. That is the kind of person who would be trustworthy, the kind of person in whom trust could be placed and upon whom one could rely. The real point that David is making is that those who are of the closest associates that we have are to be men and women of integrity, men and women who are faithful, honest, reliable, and worthy of trust. To make these kinds of people our primary and closest associates would be mutually beneficial, good for them and good for us. Consider now the first part of verse 7 in Psalm 101. David wrote, He who practices deceit shall not dwell within my house. A deceitful person is not what he or she appears to be. They are dishonest, full of tricks, pretenses and devices that are not good and upright. Such a person brings nothing good to a government, a business, or even a home. Going right along with that is the second part of the verse. He who speaks falsehood shall not maintain his position before me. A liar is simply not to be tolerated. He states things that are not true, promises things that he does not perform, and takes credit for what he has not done. Remember that back in Proverbs 6, verse uh, the lying lips that were said to be one of the seven things that are an abomination to God? I find it interesting that in Revelation 21 and verse 8 we find, but for the cowardly, the unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. Their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. One man wrote, If David would not have a liar in his sight, much less will the Lord. Neither he that loves nor he who makes a lie shall be admitted into heaven. Liars are obnoxious enough on earth. The saints shall not be worried with them in another world. Finally, let's look at verse 8 of Psalm 101. Every morning I will destroy all the wicked of the land so as to cut off from the city of the Lord all those who do iniquity. I believe the idea that David is expressing is that at no time would he tolerate wickedness. This was a rule that would extend through his life. His life would be led with a sincere concern for truth, honesty, integrity and fidelity and that would not change it was his intent to oppose lawlessness and sin on every hand all of his life what a wonderful resolution for all of us words to consider thanks for listening